morning. Glad you could join in. We're uh, going to pick it up today in the book of Acts. We uh, finished chapter 6 last time where we were introduced to uh, a number of guys who'd been chosen uh, to serve and to uh, help with some of the practical needs of the church. The apostles uh, uh, were informed of some inequities among the believers there. Uh, some of the Hellenistic uh, uh, widows were not being tended to in their daily needs and such. And so uh, the apostles wisely um, suggested that six men be chosen from among them, that the people choose six men who were uh, of, of good reputation, filled with the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and they would be the ones who would ultimately help to tend to their practical needs. And so uh, two in particular of those stood out uh, and stand out in the book of Acts in the, uh, 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 in the ongoing story. One is Stephen and the other one is Philip. And Stephen we have uh, been introduced to as one who was waiting on tables one minute and then all of a sudden found himself um, disputing about Christ with uh, some antagonizers. And now he finds himself standing before some of the leadership in Israel. And so um, God has taken him from some very practical, in the eyes of many, not terribly significant ministry, not high title kind of ministry, but in the mind of God, what he saw in Stephen was somebody who had been preparing to serve him in one way and then now serve him in another way. And so we talked about the importance of never looking down on the days of small things, not to despise that, but rather to recognize that oftentimes God is conditioning us, training us, teaching us some of the ropes, as it were, so that when he calls us to something else, I'm careful not to say better per se, because whatever God has for us is what is best for us. But when he call, when he prepares us in one place to prepare us for another place, that's a beautiful thing. And here we see this with Stephen. And so Stephen has been brought before them. Uh, they are um, threatening him. They're yelling at him. They're arguing with him. But at the, at the end of chapter 6, we see his response is quite beautiful. It says, In gazing at him, verse 15 of chapter 6, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And so now Stephen is going to have a chance to speak to this um, august group. And uh, that's where we pick it up today in Acts chapter 7. Now this is a, um, this is a, uh, what Stephen will do here is basically give them sort of a recounting of various elements of their history. And it's to make a couple of very important points that we'll discover as we go through. Uh, I'm probably going to read straight through it and stop along the way to describe a few things as we go. I, going to try and do it in one sitting unless it looks like it's getting really long and then we'll stop somewhere and pick it up but we'll see how this goes so acts chapter 7 starting in verse 1 and the high priest said are these things so and in other words is what they're saying about you true uh, what they're saying about him by the way if you remember was that he was talking like jesus did about how the temple would be destroyed and rebuilt in three days and of course at the time the people did not understand that what jesus had been speaking about was the temple of his body. And so anyway, but Stephen's being accused of some of the same things that the Lord was accused of, which in my opinion uh, is a pretty good place to be sitting. So that being said, Stephen goes on to answer them. And Stephen said, verse two, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there to this land in which you are now living. He gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him 
as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And so he starts off respectfully, brothers and fathers. He doesn't get all uppity and and, and all that kind of thing, but instead he he begins to speak respectfully, which of course uh, diffuses some things. If he just got all angry in his initial response and claimed to be unfairly treated, he might not have had the time to go on or the opportunity to go on and share all the things that he would. And so much can be taken from that in terms of his demeanor and response to his detractors. But the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Of course, we're referring here back around the time of Genesis chapter 12, where God calls Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees and ultimately calls him simply because he does. Uh, Abraham is not a Jew yet. Matter of fact, the Jewish race did not exist until Abraham. Uh, he's called a Hebrew in that area of scripture. And we find out that or he's called uh, uh, the word Hebrew, we think, comes from one of Abraham's uh, family or, uh, or descendants of Eber. And so we think the word Hebrew may come from that word. Uh, but in any case, Abraham is the first of what we would call the Jews. He is the beginning of the Jewish race. And so God calls him, and from Abraham, he God promises to bring out of Abraham a lineage that will become uh, ultimately uh, through which the Savior of the world will come. The promise made all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 uh, about this one that would crush the serpent's head, though the serpent would strike at his heel. This one from the seed of the woman would come this Savior who would ultimately um, repay the debt of mankind's sin, Jesus himself. Well, Jesus would be born of the lineage of Abraham. As a matter of fact, in Matthew's genealogy, we see that Matthew, in an effort to prove to his Jewish readership that Jesus has a rightful claim to the throne in Israel, takes the uh, lineage of Jesus back through David and then ultimately also then to Abraham to prove that he is as Jewish as can be, but he also, through the line of David, has access to the throne. Uh, and so we see there uh, in, in, uh, uh, in this passage here that, that uh, Stephen is immediately going back to the beginning of the Jewish people, the call of Abraham. And among the things that God promised Abraham, as a matter of fact, let's turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And in particular, and of course, again, for many, this will be commonly known territory, well-traveled territory. But for any who it's not, I like to not necessarily assume anything. And so here we are in chapter 12 of Genesis, where uh, in verse 1 it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country uh, and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And, and to him dis, who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And Abraham goes. Now, uh, of course, in Genesis, it sounds like he goes right away. But there is this sense that there's a little bit of taking care of a couple of things first. As he is, When his father dies, he ultimately makes his way over to the land that God will uh, ultimately show him. Um, but... In any case, this is where Stephen starts. And in that promise uh, to Abraham, there is a promise of making uh, descendants. There is a promise of making him a great nation. Uh, there is the promise of in him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And of course, all of the nations of the earth have been given now opportunity to be right with God through the offspring of Abraham, that is Christ himself. And so 
um, God shows him ultimately the land that he will get, although Abraham does not end up necessarily possessing it. It becomes a promise that his descendants will inherit this land and ultimately uh, inhabit it and establish it as what we know as the nation of Israel. Uh, and so this is the promise made to Abraham. And so Stephen starts by re re reminding them of this great beginning of their, uh, of their history and, and of the promises of God and such. Um, they are, again, uh, or they are, I should say, called out as a God's special chosen people, uh, which they remain to this day, though they're living currently in unbelief. Uh, the entire uh, ultimately fulfilling of the promises that God made to Abraham all the way back in the beginning and reiterates and builds upon throughout the Old Testament, um, describing things like the millennial kingdom, these things are yet to be fulfilled in Israel. And so they are God's special and chosen people, chosen from the nations of the earth simply because he did. He calls Abraham as a, as uh, Chuck Missler used to say, as an idol-worshiping Gentile, but ultimately from him creates uh, the nation of Israel ultimately. And so um, uh, then it says again, he went out from the land of the Chaldeans back in Acts chapter 7 verse 4. We may not get through this whole chapter the way things are going, but we roll on. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran, and after his father died again, God removed him from there into this land which you're now living. In other words, they are living in the fulfillment of the promise that God had made to Abraham. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length again, but promised to give it to him as a possession uh, and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. Of course, you remember, of course, we stopped here a moment ago too. Um, but um, the idea that Abraham had no child uh, Abram, uh, father of many, I think, and then Abraham, father of nations, uh, God changes his name to. Uh, sort of a laughable name, really, because Abraham didn't have child one when God had uh, named him Abraham. Uh, it expanded his name. But, um, but that just further uh, demonstrates uh, the grandness of when God does fulfill his promises. It seems against all odds. God then goes on to fulfill that promise. And so Abraham would ultimately become the father of nations. Uh, not only Israel uh, in terms of uh, Judaism, but um, ultimately we as Christians connect our names with Abraham because our faith comes from the Jewish faith. Uh, Islam connects with Abraham, uh, Abraham because of uh, the, uh, Abraham's other son, Ishmael. Isaac being the son of promise, but nonetheless, um, the three major world religions all claim a link to Abraham. Uh, and so um, in, in many respects, and there are hints of sort of these different nations being connected um, um, to that idea. For example, there are times in, in, uh, uh, in Abraham's day when God tells him that he'll make his descendants as numerous as the sands of the seashore and such, uh, or as numerous as the stars of heaven. And some have seen in that potentially a description of the two different uh, lines that ultimately came from Abraham, namely that of Isaac, the stars of heaven, and possibly then also Ishmael, the sands of the sea and all the sands of the, uh, uh, around the world in that. And so uh, there is sometimes seen in that possibly, uh, again, you don't have to build any doctrine or dogma on this, but it's uh, sometimes seen in there that God is actually describing the two different lines. Uh, only one of those whom ultimately the promise uh, to be a blessing to all peoples came through, and that was through Isaac. Uh, but there may be allusions to uh, the other strands as well. Um, so, but he had no child, but God was going to give him a child. And of course, uh, through Sarah, um, 
Though she was aged, God did ultimately fulfill his promise, and Sarah ultimately has a son named Isaac, which means laughter. Uh, both laughter and the joy of, of having this child, but also potentially also in connection to the fact that Sarah laughed when the very thought of her having a child. Uh, when God made that promise, uh, she laughed, thinking it was impossible. But nonetheless, it turned out it was not impossible, because with God, nothing shall be impossible. Um, so, verse 6, And God spoke to this effect, that his, Abraham's, that is, off, offspring, would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. Of course, we're talking about their ultimate captivity in Egypt. And God said, after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place, that is, in the land of Israel, or Canaan as it was at the time, ultimately Israel. And he, came to, uh, he gave him the covenant of circumcision. Circumcision, again, being a covenant sign specific to Israel. It may be practiced around the world in, in, uh, when babies are born in that and various other contexts, but it was given as a covenant sign to Abraham for his offspring, and it was important that they exercise, practice this, because it was the covenant sign that that made them uh, that demonstrated their connection to God, their their um, their being the covenant people. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs, or the twelve sons that became the twelve tribes of Israel. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, in other words, Joseph's brothers who were jealous of him, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Uh, of course, if you remember the story, I'm not talking about Matthew Lloyd, uh, or, uh, 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 Lloyd Webber's um, uh, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's uh, play, Joseph and the Amazing Technical Dreamcoat, although the story is somewhat told there in kind of an entertaining way. But if you remember the story, uh, beginning around Genesis 37, we see that Joseph uh, becomes this favored son of Jacob. Uh, Jacob gives him this uh, many materialed, possibly, or many colored, whatever the specific uh, term is meant to imply there, but this, this, this really meaningful, valuable coat that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and the other sons were all very jealous. Now, of course, it didn't help Joseph's cause that he had a couple of dreams in which demonstrated that his brothers and even his mother and father would one day be beholden to him, and he would be over them. And I will make a point here, by the way. I know it sounds like we're sort of jumping a little bit here, but I like to include some important details in the larger picture of Scripture where I can. In Joseph's dream of the sun, moon, and 11 stars all bowing to Joseph. Uh, Jacob understands what this dream means. It means that his brothers will bow to him, but also even mom and dad. Will we too also bow to you? Well, Joseph had shared that dream, but that imagery shows up again later in Revelation chapter 12. Uh, and this is a point of great misunderstanding among many uh, denominations, among believers, uh, the interpretation of this woman with the sun, moon, and stars around her. Um, some have seen that as indicative of the church. In fact, it is indicative of Israel, Jacob's offspring, who brings forth the Messiah. 
this woman who is chased by, by the dragon out into the wilderness, uh, Satan always being after God's chosen people, the apple of his eye. Uh, it's important to recognize that when we interpret Revelation 12. Um, but that imagery finds its origin all the way back here in Genesis, uh, in uh, Genesis 37, uh, uh, in the chapters there of Joseph's story beginning in Genesis 37. And so Stephen here, kind of extremely briefly reminds them of the story of Joseph, the one whom God had, uh, who, who the patriarchs, the fathers of the nations, uh, the tribes, I should say, within the nation of Israel, who rejected the one that God ultimately used to deliver them. It's an important point there. And so um, God gives Joseph favor uh, with Pharaoh, makes him the most power, essentially the most powerful man in the world next to Pharaoh himself. Uh, and the one who was rejected by his brothers. Uh, again, in uh, verse 11, we pick up, Now there came a famine throughout all of Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers, the brothers of Joseph, the patriarchs, on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons at all. And there is a numerical difference here. This, I think it's 70. I think it may say there in, in Genesis says 75 here, and there's ways to account for that, just so you're aware of that. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. In other words, Abraham bought this field by faith, knowing that his descendants would one day come back to this land. Under the time of, um, of Joseph, uh, they were carried into Egypt, ultimately, uh, where they were enslaved and all that down in Egypt. Uh, eventually, they left Egypt, and ultimately Joseph, at the end of the book of Genesis, asks, as he's dying, he calls upon his children, his, his, his family, to bring his bones with them when they leave Egypt eventually and go to the land of promise. Um, also worth noting here at the end of Joseph, uh, during the story of Joseph, as Jacob dies, Joseph's brothers become terrified and paranoid that Joseph is now going to take out his vengeance upon them for the way they treated him earlier. But rather than uh, punish them, he instead calls them to him and he lets them know that even though they meant it for evil, God intended it for good somewhat similar to forgive them for they know not what they do. Uh, we see in Joseph very much in a number of ways a type of Christ, uh, a metaphor in, in his person for the person of Christ that would later come. Um, but it's a fascinating story. I would encourage you to read it uh, as well. But, but Stephen here reminds them that it was in fact, um, it was in fact their fathers, the patriarchs, who had rejected their savior, Okay, he begins to lay that hint out here as he makes his way through his rehearsing or reminding Israel of their history to their leaders. Uh, it was this one that they rejected who became ultimately the deliverer and the savior, as it were, of their people from dying of famine. Um, and again, I, I find it fascinating that Joseph, essentially, because they, knew, they didn't understand uh, all that was entailed in what they were doing at the time they sold him into slavery, but God had always intended for this to become uh, to be to be a good outcome, ultimately resulting in their being saved. 
from their from from dying in the famine and that there's a type there again of Christ. And you know what I'm realizing? We've been going almost 20 minutes. I'm going to stop there because there's no way in the world we're going to get through all this today. So this is as good a spot as any to go ahead and stop. Uh, and we'll pick it up in verse 17 next time where it talks about their time in Egypt. So um, hopefully uh, uh, you continue to follow along and read along. I encourage you to read through the, the rest of the account yourself and we'll pick it up again next time we're in the book of Acts. So. Um, I'm going to close there for today, but I'm going to share an announcement as well, something I'd ask you to pray about. Um, uh, I had a suggestion from one of our uh, viewing family to consider some other outlets upon which to post these podcasts uh, in the days of uh, growing censorship. Now, I should say that um, I consider this in terms of its scope and outreach to be kind of small potatoes compared to most podcasts that have hundreds of thousands of views on every video or you know millions of views on the channel and that kind of thing we're nothing like that in terms of uh, in terms of reach it doesn't mean i don't think it's important that we reach even one but i'm saying in terms of of uh, being censored one day uh, i'm not sure that we'll show up on anybody's radar really soon but on the other hand algorithms don't discriminate so much and so it may very well be that one day uh, there comes a point in which these podcasts may not be available on YouTube anymore. Or certain podcasts might be taken off the channel. We do talk about some topics that are uh, that that um, you know that nowadays are considered uh, you know verboten. And so uh, that being said, uh, I, I think I'm going to consider some additional outlets to post on as well. There's always my personal website uh, at parsonspad.com. However, uh, as we've seen in recent days with, uh, with companies like Parler, um, that um, you know, even if you're hosted on uh, a particular company's servers like Amazon uh, and they don't like what you're putting out, they can shut you down. And so uh, we don't, uh, I don't believe we're uh, on Amazon servers uh, on my website, but I'm not sure actually where WordPress content is ultimately stored. I've been trying to figure that out. Um, even if it's on WordPress servers, it may very well be that um, that some issues come up. So, um, in any case, um, I'll probably speak more to that on a different uh, episode so I can spend a little more time talking about it. But um, for now, I'm going to go ahead and end there. And uh, I'll go ahead and pray. And uh, as always, feel free to leave comments. Uh, questions, anything like that that you like, uh, both on our YouTube channel and the comments section. You can uh, also leave uh, the comments and such on my website at parsonspad.com. If you want to email me, you can do that from that same website or from our church's website at calvarychapelfranklin.com. And as always, my prayer is that these uh, times together are fruitful, that uh, we all grow in our relationship with the Lord uh, and uh, closer and closer to him. And again, the reason we're in the book of Acts at all is because I think it's wildly pertinent uh, for the days in which we're living in regard to how the church functions in society that is becoming increasingly hostile to it. So that being said, thanks as always for watching. Let me pray us out until we meet again. Father, we thank you and praise you for our time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunities to spend time in it together. And we pray that uh, even as you have said, that your word never returns void, but it accomplishes that which you set it out to do. I would pray that, Father, it accomplishes what you would set it out to do in us, uh, even even right now today. And uh, so, Father, we just want to glorify you in the days ahead. Uh, we know you're working, and uh, human history is moving toward its 
ultimately determined end that you've ordained. And we just pray that, Father, in the days ahead, that we would avail ourselves to you, Father. Use us for your glory. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We see someone like Stephen and we admire him. But, Father, help us to be used like him uh, as the Holy Spirit would see fit. So we praise you and thank you for this and these opportunities and all the opportunities you might give ahead. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.